Hey there, and welcome to episode four of the Draft Champions podcast. Uh, we're here today with uh, myself, uh, Zach. You can find me at Zach Roto on Twitter and Mike Curland at Mike underscore Curland. And today we have a special guest, Derek Booker. I don't know, did I pronounce that right? Uh, it's actually Booker, but uh, you know, growing up playing hockey, it was pronounced any way imaginable. So uh, we'll go with that. It was close enough. All right. Uh, <laughs> Derek's uh, from the NFBC. He, he uh, runs the contest and he runs a lot of the other things um, around there. Um, so uh, let's just start off with a brief intro here. Um, how did the NFB start, NFBC start? How did you get started with it? How, who brought you along? Who's, who's involved? Tell me, tell me what it's like behind the scenes. Yeah, so we are in our, I guess, 16th year of the NFBC. I, ha- I haven't been involved from the start. Greg Ambrosius was the, uh, you know, who still runs kind of the head of everything, uh, was at the WW, well, I guess the, one of the football ones back then. I guess it might have been WWCO, Wyckoff or something like that. Anyways, uh, realized that there was a space in the, in the high stakes fantasy baseball. So he said that he was actually at uh, a draft there back in September, came on the plane. He said he wrote the rules and stuff for – for a national fantasy baseball high stakes competition back in 2004 ish. So now we're, uh, we're in year 16 going strong. Um, so I was, a I, I was a player actually, just like, just like you guys are now doing the draft champions, a lot of rotowire online championships did main events, uh, in baseball. And I'm, I'm an accountant by trade, a finance guy. Um, I was actually the controller of the original fan ball. If you guys remember that back years and years and years ago, early two thousands, um, oh, it's still around now. Yeah. Well, it's back, you know, it's, it's, it's about it's in its fourth, uh, incarnation, if you will, in different, uh, different things. But back when it was really going strong with content and the fantasy football commissioner product, uh, was actually the big thing back in the, back in the early 2000s we ran, we had 70,000 leagues back on the old fan ball. So I was the, uh, you know, an accountant back then still an accountant by trade, I guess, but I've kind of morphed into different roles. So actually in 2016, I was working with Rob Fithian, who's the owner proprietor, um, you know, general manager of sports hub technologies, which we are a part of the NFBC, NFFC, all that, um, had been working. He was the guy I worked with at the original Fanball. Um, he had done a couple of different ventures since then. So I had joined him in a, in a accounting slash finance capacity on pretty much all of them. Um, so he started the sports hub technology early, I guess late 2014, early 2015. And his goal was to gobble up a bunch of good fantasy companies, put them all under one roof. So, you know, we started off with a development company um, out of Connecticut, Chris Nicholas and his guys. Um, And then we bought this, we bought CDM uh, out of St. Louis, which is now still part of the sports hub games network. And then he, we, we purchased the NF, the rights to the NFBC, NFFC, and NFBKC basketball uh, in at the end of 2016. So I was finishing up football that year. Um, so as it turns out, I, I kind of had a choice to to stay with the company, which I was going to do. I love Rob, love working with these guys, but uh, sort of a conflict of interest. So it took away my playing ability in the NFBC, NFFC. So I I play in you know I play a lot of home leagues now. Um, to get my fix. But I, I, my job was basically as I came on was still in accounting capacity, uh, stuff like that. But as we brought in other companies, League Safe, uh, What If Sports, if not, we brought in another accountant. And you know, our jobs kind of overlapped. And, and my passion is, to this day, has been for a long time fantasy sports. So my, my role kind of morphed into 
helping take the high stakes fantasy uh, to another level. So this year I actually created a hockey uh, hockey contest for the NF you know NFHC. But I, I you know I'm a baseball guy through and through. Greg and Tom are, are baseball guys, but they're but they're more actually football guys. So baseball is kind of my pet. So. I'm just involved. I don't even really have a title with the company anymore. I mean, it's kind of the, the running joke. I just kind of call myself the Swiss army knife because I do everything from high level finance to customer service, to creating new contests, to, to doing all that, to doing podcasts, to doing serious radio. So whatever they need me to do, I, I'm involved with it because I love it. And I mean, fantasy sports is my passion. So I guess that's a, a long winded answer to your question. That's awesome. That's uh, you know what? We love it as well. And um, I think you, you, you nailed it. it you uh, really bring, bring on league safe really helped uh, reach out to a broader audience. I think like myself specifically, um, I'm assuming you can't play in these contests anymore. Correct. I, I cannot play in any, anything we own under the sports hub umbrella. Of course I can do like uh, private ones, you know, where we just, we don't really throw any money around. We just uh, do internal type leagues, but yes. Can, as, as can you play in the uh, TGFBI? Yes, I did. I was in the TGFBI last year because, because it's, it's not, not it's not, it's not monetary, right? right? Yep. Correct. And we run that and we're running that again in 2020. Very excited about that working with Justin Mason and his group. Uh, so yeah, totally excited about running that again. Awesome. Just, uh, go just, I was to say, just create a burner account, you know, KD does it, all the, all the major athletes do it. So might as well, man. You know, with all the technology that we actually have to go through with, you know, compliance stuff, because we have our fan ball DFS still under the sports hub window. It's, it's almost impossible to do something like that. Uh, I not, get your wife to not do that, that I would do that anyway. But, uh, <laughs> get your wife to do it or someone, get your, get your kid once he turns 18. The problem is the last name butcher, B-U-C-H-R, it's kind of noticeable. It just kind of stands out. It's not like it's Johnson or something like that, where yeah. it's easier to slide that through you know so true I love as much as I miss playing I do like I said I, I play in tons of home leagues with buddies and, and get involved in stuff like that and, and enough money in it for you to keep you uh, uh, it, you know at the first year it was kind of a, it was kind of like hard to just not being want to play in a rotowire online championship or get in the draft champions and do it but as much as I get to see and look at other stuff I think of, of just watching I mean I'm the guy that watches most of the drafts if you will too if you, if you notice in the draft rooms I'm the one that's in there probably 75% of the time uh, upwards of 80 or 85 during draft season. I just get to see so much stuff. I think it makes me a better player for my other leagues. Oh, absolutely. Just watching everybody, you know, just do certain strategies and, and, and how things change from the beginning of the season to the end of the season and how high stakes players just, you know, seeing what they do and then asking myself, why would he do that there? And then, and then kind of look as, the one thing I, I think I get to see better than – or more, not better probably, that's not the right word, but more is I get to see how guys put teams together. And I think that goes very uh, – it's a very underrated aspect, especially of rotisserie fantasy baseball, is team construction, right? I mean, we get these ADPs, and, and at the end of the day, you, you want the best players, but at the end of the day, you got 10 categories you gotta you got to try and fill, especially in the overall contest. You know, one-off league's a little bit different. You can, you can sometimes punt, but in these overall competitions, it's – almost impossible to to punt a category and you know finish cashing in the overall it's just, it just it's so hard because there's so many great players and there's so many teams that you just it's just not usually going to work unless you have an insane amount of luck and or some strategy that really no one has used uh, to a T yet so that's the one thing I, I enjoy most of it now is is looking at the strategies I'm a very number oriented stats geek kind of guy so that's that's the fun stuff is i've seen oh, he's doing this why is he doing it and then at the end of the day you look at his team and you say oh i can kind of see why he did that now and then that's that's a lot of fun actually for someone what, like me who's kind of a nerd one of the questions i had for you and you know we can jump ahead on this is um the, like do you notice and this is what i had this is what i wanted to ask 
you notice any common denominator in winning teams? Like in general, like has there been anything that you've noticed that consistently makes uh, draft champions winner or gives you um, gives you that advantage to have a step up of the comp- step up on the competition? Sure. Well, and, the, and I do think that the draft champions are different, uh, of course, than say our main events or even the road aware onlines where, where you have fab and, you know, fab and, and moves draft champions, 50 rounds, you don't get to make any pickups. So you have, you know, what you draft is what you, what you get to use all year. The one thing I will say is I don't, I don't know that there's necessary. I mean, the one thing that goes with any winner in, I think any of our contests, first of all, you got to have health. I mean, and, and in this day and age, it's, it's hard to even, assume anyone's going to have great health because I mean, we saw last year, at least the 10 day DL is gone. I think that's going to be a good thing for a game to tell you the truth, but you see the winning teams, they, they stay healthier than the rest of the teams. They're, they're, they're big players. Uh, you know, you, you're drafting uh, an Anthony Rendon, you know, maybe a few rounds later than a lot of people think he might go because he had an injury the year before and this year he stays healthy and you get him in the mid fourth round and he performs like a first round guy that's that's I think what it takes more than anything else and then draft champions it is almost impossible to fade pitching uh to a point where you know you got to get some pitchers I mean it's just there's so much so many injuries with the pitching staffs that you need to just have guys that you can throw out there I mean, at the end of the day, you know, you're down there in rounds 40 through 50 and even grabbing those middle relievers that you almost hope you don't have to use. You're going to have to use these guys uh, at some point. There's just there's just so many injuries with the pitchers is that you just need to load up as much as you can there. I, I think that's that's the one thing. I don't think there's any particular magic spot you need to draft from. I don't think there's any particular strategy you need to use. I think you just need to one thing I will say is I, I do see the teams that seem to finish up top. They don't do a ton of rookie speculating or prospect speculating. If you, they'll grab the, you know, they'll grab a couple of the top, maybe one or two of the top guys, but I see the teams finishing up top. I see them. They're not taking the guys that maybe come up that might come up, right? They're taking the guys, you know, are coming up. So for instance, two years ago, we all knew Ronald Acuna was coming up. So those are the guys they'll draft a little bit earlier maybe than the rest of the crowd because they know they're coming. You can wait, a, you know, you can wait to, for April for the, the 21 days or whatever for, for time to elapse on the year of control. But they aren't taking the guys maybe like a Wander Franco this year who we don't know when he's coming. Maybe he comes up July. Maybe he comes up here. We just don't know. And I think those are the prospects that they tend to avoid um, just so that they have so many options to choose from every week. And I think that's the key. I think it's playing time. That's the key in draft champions. Yeah. I think that's kind of what like I've noticed my early strategy, which is kind of backfired because I went for the more sure things or what I thought were initially, you know, cause we are far from any sure things with a uh, depth charts at this point, but I skipped on like the guys that I do aim for eight late in drafts. If there are prospects are usually in triple a and there's a high likelihood. Like for instance, I'm Monty Harris. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but a little, like Monty Harrison for the Marlins. Although right now he doesn't have a spot. He's in AAA, played pretty much AAA all. I think he played all of last year in AAA. Should come up relatively quickly, assuming that there's a spot open for him. But at the very least midseason, he's the type of guy I'll take late in drafts because there's upside there compared to what's left. That's where that's how I personally handle prospects. I know other guys are a little more aggressive. Davey Garcia, another one that I, t- I take late because he's been following. AAA guy, just – that's how I personally have attacked prospects. But I know uh, Zach in the past, I think he's finally coming around, but I think Zach in the past has been very prospect heavy and it's kind of hurting. Fine. So. I'm trying to, I'm trying. You're, so, you're just so tempting. 
Um, well, yeah, because there's so much upside there compared to what is available, especially at this point in the draft as we get into the final 10 rounds, as he alluded to. Davey Garcia is one of those guys that loved coming out of last year. Then the more I looked into him uh, this year, the more I've come off of him. Um, he, um, he, when he Once he was promoted to AAA, he sort of, his numbers sort of tailed off, and he was being used as a reliever and then the signing of Cole. And then you have – I think he gets sort traded. Of, you sort of – you think Davey Garcia gets traded? I think so. I mean – I they, don't. They, I don't know. Why can't they? Why wouldn't they just pair him with say? Um, what, do they, what do they need? Well, the, <laughs> anyway, I think we're going we're going off on a tangent here, but hater, um, hater, man, the, the hater talks are getting real. Maybe they pair a Garcia with a Frazier and say, "Here, let me oh, give me hater." You know what? That makes a lot of sense. That could happen, but yeah, you're, you're really hoping for. I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of soft on David Garcia. Um, but yeah, I, I I get it. <laughs> anyway. Uh, anyways, um, <laughs> what was I going to say? Do you want to talk about Hyungjin Ryu a little bit? Since oh. this podcast might not air until well after the, everyone has been talking about it, but I'm from Toronto. I'm a I'm a big Blue Jay fan. I was there for all of their playoff games the last couple of years. I was even there for their World Series games. I went to a bunch of the games in the early 90s. I don't like this move at all for them, just given their situation. Um, like, Let's be realistic. I don't think it's likely at all they are competing for a playoff spot this year. And even if you're being supremely optimistic, say next year they're competing for a playoff spot, they're going to have a 34-year-old Rayu, and I don't even know how old Tanner Rourke. Tanner Rourke will be on the last year of his contract, and Rayu going into the second year of a four-year contract when he's already in his mid-30s, and you know how um, international pitchers have aged. Um, if you look at Hideo Nomo, his best season he was the best one and by his age 34 and 30 sorry his age 35 and 36 seasons were absolutely horrible um Matt Zaka didn't last much past 28 and there's, the list goes on um personally I would much rather take a Zach Wheeler at five years 25 million blow the Phillies offer out of the water give him 25 and give him a five-year one 25 million dollar deal and grab a Taiwan Walker um for a two year and a player option. So at least when you're entering your window of competitiveness, you're going to have a Zach Wheeler in maybe just posted like in, in his prime still maybe heading out of it just slightly. And then you're going to have a, maybe a Taiwan Walker, which has much more upside rather than uh, just two aging pitchers. I don't know. I think the, the front office of the Jays. <laughs> I, I, I think, I think the front your... office are just fucking fools. They're oh, just, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> what's up no nothing i'm just laughing at you because i could you're going off on this rant about your blue jays you yelled at me about going off on a tangent look at you yeah i know derek your thoughts how about that let's get you back in here (laughs) yeah i mean i I can see both sides but i mean i I think ryu's one i kind of look at him as like a crafty pitcher almost like a not that they're the same type of pitcher but a cole hamill's a guy that i think can last a little bit longer just based on his pitching arsenal um, but the Blue Jays, I don't know that they're as far away as maybe Zach is alluding to. I mean, we've seen, I mean, we've seen the twins go from nothing to, you know, last year playoff team, just, just with upgrading the offense and the pitching was better. It wasn't anything special. Ryu seems like the kind, I, I, I guess I wouldn't put him as a, as a rotation front guy, but Blue Jays, uh, seem to me that they're not that far away with the, with the young, young group of bats they got there. And, you know, if Pearson comes up at some point and is ready and, you know, we heard talks. I don't. I doubt anything's gonna uh, happen with the Red Sox, but there sounded like there was some talk of them trying to 
trying to grab price from the Red Sox. I don't know the monetary situation of the Blue Jays, but I'm assuming just like any other MLB team, they can afford to do anything they want, even if they say they can't. So, <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't think it's a, it's a bad move. It's, uh, it's, it's, you know, they throw, let's say they get a guy somehow to go up top of you and with Pearson and again, Rourke and, and uh, those I guys. Think I think David Price should be a, a perfect addition for the Blue Jays because um, David Price is terrible in the playoffs and they're not going to make the playoffs. You are such a jaded <laughs> fan. You are. <laughs> you need to. I, I'm. I'm with Derek. Though. I, I was. Texting I, know, you about the, I was texting you about this last night, though, about how I think they are. They could. I mean, that division's getting weaker with Boston kind of selling parts off. Tampa's good, but not great. They're just very solid depth type of team. And of course, you have the Yankees, which are the powerhouse. So I think that division, although it might be in the Yankees' favor. I think as a whole, the AL, they could sneak into a wild card spot sooner than later. And you never know what happens in the playoffs. So Yeah, that's true. You know what? I'm maybe just um, been a J fan for too long. But I, I'm actually hoping they bring Edwin back too because there was rumblings about that. I don't know if that's going to happen anymore considering they brought in Smoke. But bringing back all these old Jays, Price, they Edwin. They and you brought know, in Smoke. They, smoke went to the Brewers. Oh, sorry. I'm thinking Travis Shaw. My bad. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for catching that. No worries. So you're going to get like a, if you're talking about the price and Edwin, that's all these XJs. And like, you know what? Reuse almost like um, international David Wells. <laughs> there you go. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, let's, let's move on to talk about some of the um, ADP surprises here. That um, I, I have a list here. I just went through the ADP and I can, I'll jump in. We can all jump in. Um, just these are players that I think are maybe going a lot higher than I would expect. Not not saying it's good or bad or right or wrong or and just based it's just um, um, surprising to me, higher or lower. So Derek, do you want to do want to um, give an example of someone that you think is a sort of an ADP surprise? Uh sure. And as I was kind of alluding to earlier, not it's hard up for me to actually get surprised anymore because now I'm I'm well into my fourth year of seeing basically all the draft boards all the ADP the entire way through and, and looking at it all the time. So when guys get jumped a little bit, it, it doesn't surprise me sticker shock wise, maybe like it used to um, a couple of guys, I, I guess let's look pitching to start with a couple of guys that going seventh and eighth overall are Jack Flaherty and Shane Bieber with ADPs of about 25 and 28 or so uh, respectively. Both of those guys seem a little high to me. Um, you know, they're right after Bueller and Clevenger and ahead of Strasburg, Snell and Sale. Uh, I mean, I see the upside just like anything. I mean, again, a lot of these, a lot of this time when we're looking at, we're talking about personal preference cause these guys, these guys are all great. Um, but I just haven't, I don't know that I've seen enough from Flaherty or Bieber to, to take them in front of a Strasburg and, and Sale or even a Snell possibly at this point. I mean, I know Snell had a, had an off year, but I think I think we realized that was injury related. Strasburg actually had a non a non injury year, and we saw what he what he's capable of doing. Um, Chris, you know, Chris Sale is is I think he's still Chris Sale, just a completely weird and unlucky year last year. And I mean, Flaherty and Bieber Bieber are, are nice pitchers, but I just would have trouble taking two guys like that. And and you know, those are going to be your rotation anchors for the most part. Most people are are taking those guys as SP1s, possibly SP2s if you've gone, you know, you somehow maybe on, at the end of the at the end of a DEC and wrapping two pitchers there. But those are two guys that strike me as just being a little high, uh, kind of on the upside. And I'll let you guys maybe comment on on something you see maybe a little bit higher on the ADP draft boards. All right, Mike, do you have anything? I think, I think that's I think those are good points. 
I think um, I'm with you. I'm with you on everything you said there. I like, I think me and Mike are both in on Snell. Mike, um, do you have any, uh, did you look at any surprises in the ADP that you wanted to share? Nothing really, like he was saying, nothing truly stood out. I mean, I like those pitching examples exactly because I prefer Snell over those guys and I rank it that way as well in my ranks. But like you said, like I'm at the point now where nothing truly jumps out at me anymore. I mean, I think there's going to be risers still, and there's going to be fallers still, but right now, you just you get so you're so used to like once you start playing these leagues, you just start you start getting so used to seeing things happen. You're like, oh, whatever. You just adjust to it on your own terms, you know. So nothing well, truly stands out for me right now. I'll tell you one guy I think is really interesting, uh, especially with you, we mentioned a little bit earlier, Josh Hader. Um, you know, we've heard rumblings that the Yankees are are interested in maybe trying to throw a package around Andahar, and which I wouldn't do if I was the Brewers. There's plenty of guys like Andahar around out there, but uh, he's he's the 23rd pitcher basically right now, going off the boards in 15 teamers, and he's gone anywhere from 53 to 93. So 53 puts him right in the middle of the fourth round. Uh, there was a little Twitter thing going around this weekend. Somebody asking where do they think the, the top closers like Yates and um, Yates and Hader are going to go. Liam Hendricks as well. And I, and I responded to that. I said, I said, by the time main events come around, and again, a little bit different than, than the draft champions we're seeing right now, but I think Hader is going, assuming he doesn't get moved, obviously, um, is going to be a mid-fourth round pick. Just I, I think there's – and we've seen it now. We've seen 53, and I've seen a couple other uh, pokes where he's been up close to that. Um, people are just uh, enamored with – I don't know if it's – obviously, we've seen what Hader can do. He's you know, almost two strikeouts an inning over his career. Um, you know, you, you multiply that by if he gets 75 innings, you know, you, you could be talking 150 strikeouts, especially with the new rule, the, you know, the three batter minimum rule. I don't know exactly how that affects closers, but I think it's a, I think it's a good thing. Um, I think we see, le- obviously we see left lots less, you know, loogies or whatever you want to call them coming in to do that. So Hater is a very interesting guy. I think guys like that, um, where somebody will price in what they think his ceiling. I mean, that, that happens with all our guys, of course, but guys like that, that are, are quote unquote specialties. Cause he's a closer, um, move around. Those are the guys that are interesting. I, I think a lot of the other guys, it's just personal preference, uh, for a lot of the other guys, but those are the guys that, are, that I think are most interesting and have a ton of volatility. That's There's, a good point. That's like, that's all right, Mike. That was, that's a good point. I just want to touch on hater. Um, because I think he's valuable because if he's in that closer role and he's getting those innings, he's going to get a lot of, he's going to get you a lot of strikeouts, almost as many strikeouts as some of the starters. So what, what happened to me in one of the drafts, I think the draft that I was in with you, Mike, is I um, went light on pitching or I went light on pitching early. Um, I only had, I believe, Louis, Cast- um, Louis Castillo. And then my next pitcher I selected was Liam Hendricks. And one of the reasons I selected him is because last year he threw 120 in, um, I think it was 120, or is it 80 innings? And uh, he had 85 innings and um, 124 strikeouts. So he was getting you close to those. He, he was really one of those, I found he was the only, uh, when I looked at pitchers, he was the only, the only relievers that qualified over eight, that 80 inning threshold. When I started doing some analysis on pitching pitchers that had over the 80 innings. So he really, um, is more than just saves. He is gets you those innings and strikeouts, almost like a starter. And well, sorry, you could do that. You can go get Corbin Burns like 400 picks later, and he'll that's the type of guy he's going to be. But that's well, that's one of my guys this year. Anyway, one guy that does stand out to me, I really want to really want to drive this point home. I've talked about him, I think last podcast as well. I just want to remind people that Otani at 87th overall, at least the ADP I'm looking at right now. That needs like especially this format does not favor him. He need if it's a daily format, I love that value. But weekly, he needs to be going like 100 picks later. There's no 
you're looking at a minimal, I mean, a max, I think it was what Zola even said, like 26 starts that because he's, he's going to be pitching at most once a week. And then you get to remember that you can't do, like I said, the daily, you can't, you have to use him as a hitter or as a pitcher. And either way he's limited and weekly lineups is just, I don't understand. I don't understand the ADP. There's not enough daily leagues going on right now. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm just, I'm sorry, excuse me for my ignorance on, on the NFBC format as a whole, but I'm not too certain of your daily formats as is. I know it's a lot of weekly, and mid, I think you do mid-line, midweek lineup changes, if I'm correct, Eric. You can, again, correct me if I'm wrong. You can speak, you speak on that in a moment. But Otani as a whole right now, pretty sure it's mostly weekly formats being drafted. And his name, I think it's name value you're taking there because as far as fantasy output, there's nothing. There's a, it's, it's lacking the value, especially, again, especially in weekly formats. Yeah, we don't. Uh, we have no daily uh, transactional leagues in the NFBC. Everything is weekly. So, on the Otania, I'm on the same boat as you um, in something like the Draft Champions or or uh, you know anything we do later, main event, Roto Wire online championship. He is going too high right now, and the problem is it's not the talents for sure. It's not the talent. It's just the way you're going to be able to use them. As you mentioned, probably 26 starts at most. He may get one two start week in there if it if it works out, but you know they're probably using six starters. And even if they're not, they're going to, you know, offset them a day or so. Um, So in our formats, um, we do hitters, you do get to switch out, you know, on Friday. So you use Monday through Thursday is one, one, you know, biweekly setting and or semi-weekly, I guess I would say semi-weekly setting. And then you can change your hitters out for Friday and Sunday. However, if you're going to, Otani in our format is just one guy. So when you draft Otani, you're not drafting Otani as a pitcher, and then Otani as a hitter, you're drafting just Shohei Otani, and you can use him at both. So if you're going to use him as a pitcher, we don't let you, you know, pitchers, you set your lineup, you, it locks once that team plays the first week. So there's no, there's no, you don't switch pitchers out like you do hitters. So if you're going to use Otani, he's locked in as a pitcher all week. You cannot use him as a hitter. If you're going to so, use Otani as a hitter, let's say, let's say, you know, Otani maybe is pitching Saturday and maybe he's pitching let's just say he's pitching at, at Yankee Stadium so you, you feel like you don't want to use him for a Saturday starting Yankee Stadium or whatever but at that point you realize well he's probably going to be used as his DH you know Monday Tuesday Wednesday at least or something in a different series so in that in that case you can throw him in as your hitter right for that that first series and then replace him with a different bat for the the, the weekend series where he's going to pitch now you can't throw him in as a pitcher because he would have locked you know, on Monday or Tuesday when they started their week. So you wouldn't use them as a pitcher that week. But that's that's maybe what people are doing. They're looking at the talent. I'll tell you, the, the one league that we have him in where he is going to be extremely valuable is our cut line leagues. And that's our that's our only, basically, our best ball. Um, so when you're drafting there, he, it's, it's optimal scoring. You do not set lineups. So Otani, in this case, will be placed in your lineup as either one of your nine pitchers or in your utility spot because he is the only utility uh eligible he does not have outfield eligibility he only he was only a dh last year so he's only eligible in the utility spot in any of our contests but in this case you'll get his optimal scoring wherever he helps you most so either as a pitcher or as a hitter if he cracks your best lineup so that's the one uh league contest that i think where he actually his adp should go up because he's very very valuable there because you're not having to choose yeah Yeah. Uh, sorry, go ahead, Zach. I was just going to agree with him because I mean, maybe that's what I was thinking. Maybe that's what was uh, driving his ADP. Now I don't know if those cut line leagues are happening right now. We've right? only had three cut lines, oh, yeah. So no. it's not going to be. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree with you guys on that for sure. And I don't even. I wouldn't consider it a surprise that he's going that high, but I just consider it. I agree with what you're saying. 
but I, I'm yeah. not I'm not surprised that he's that he's there. Yeah, um, I guess I guess I guess this was the wrong segment to call it a surprise. But it was just more or less somebody that is being overdrafted. So. Yeah, he's right. definitely <laughs> being overdrafted uh, in the in the draft champions for sure. Because uh, again, you're, you're having to choose, and it, it's just I think it'll be maddening. I mean, I, I'm not the, I'm the type of guy that would always choose wrong too, right? So <laughs> if I draft him at that ADP, it'd be worse because I, I wouldn't even be I, I'd find a way to not optimize his hitting and his pitching i'd probably screw it up and use him in the wrong time so i I think it'd just be a maddening guy to own but again so much talent that if you're actually able to use it right and and find a way to to manage him into your lineup it's something that could could pay off eventually too so you know it's a again risk reward there my biggest my last thing i'm gonna say my biggest concern is that like you said that saturday or sunday start a rain out or just gets pushed back now you get nothing out of him for the whole week yeah so there's that anyway we can move on zach go ahead um, yeah, I wanted to uh, just share some of my um, surprises. I, br- I had a couple written down. I would, uh, I'm not going to go through them all, but um, uh, it's trio of pitchers. I always I tend to keep bringing up. Um, one of them, I believe, is I'm surprised about. I'm surprised uh, how high he's going. One, I'm surprised how low he's going, and one is just about right. And that's your Lamette Heaney and Griffin Canning. Griffin Canning um, Heaney, I think, is going. I'm not surprised where he's going. He's going at about 189. Um, Lamette's all the way at 116, so he's getting pushed up a lot. And in these type of contests, um, you really want to get volume. And he's not—he's none of these guys. I'm really super uh, super um, confident about their health or the, or the amount of starts they're going to have. And but the value I really love is the Griffin Canning value at 231. Um, I see them all as pretty similar pitchers, and I'm just surprised about the the, the variance between those three. Yeah, I think I, I think I agree with you. Um, the one thing I will say about Lamette, he is the uh, again he's he's helium. Just as you mentioned, he he just keeps he's getting pushed and pushed and more. I see him going seventh round, sixth round. He's starting to go, and he's he's the type of guy. Every year we see a couple of these guys, and he's definitely the poster child for it this year, right? Had the T, uh, Tommy John surgery two years ago, got back the last half of last year, and just had some sparkling outings, right, in terms of strikeouts. And this is the type of guy that, you know, if you get him as your SP, SP2 or SP3 in these formats and he, you know, he blows up, uh, could be one of those guys that you're talking, you know, he maybe only needs 175 innings to hit 240, 250 strikeouts. Uh, that pays off. So th- it's the type of guy where people are, are, they're not taking him as a starting pitcher one, obviously, but, it, you know, if you, if you grab a Garrett Cole or a Justin Verlander or something like that, and then you grab four or five bats and you see, you see Lamette sitting there. Um, he's, he's the type of guy that, that it's going to continue to rise. I believe too. He, he, what happens to these guys is they start, you know, they start off down. And as we've seen, as these draft champions are going climbing, 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 what they'll do is they'll hit a plateau um, probably around February 1st and then he'll, you know, he'll level off, level off. And then, then when we get to closer to our live events and live drafts coming up, you see the helium start back up and that's the time he'll end up going sixth round, fifth round. We see so much stuff in live events and that's probably a whole different discussion based on talking about live events and the drafts you see there versus drafts you see online and early in the year. But uh, he's exactly the type of guy like that. Uh, I think you hit the head on Heaney, Heaney and Canning too, both solid, solid guys, but you know, you're worried about how much volume are they going to give you? But again, guys that if they give you enough volume, definitely will outperform where they're going right now. So that, that's the thing with pitchers, man. They're, 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 they're fickle. <laughs> yeah. And that, that leads me to tell, uh, that leads me into the discussion of uh, my strategy in the draft that I'm in right now. And I, I sort of, I sort of came into it by accident. And it's one of the things I talked about on, on a previous podcast when we had Zola on, and it was, a, it was a strategy of stacking pitchers. Now 
I wrote of something or I, I looked into something and I'm big and I'm a numbers guy too, um, by trade. And I, and I looked into the stats and I was using actually finite math and looking at the probabilities of having two start pitchers in a week. And this wasn't for a draft champions league that I was looking at this for. I was looking at head to head leagues and I said, and basically, um, to make a long story short is, the, um, if you stack, if, if you just, if you say you're going to have five pitchers on your team, just for the sake of, just for the sake of simplicity, and there's seven games in a week, also for the sake of simplicity, you're, there's a 40% chance you're going to have, um, you're going to have a two-star pitcher because two of those five pitchers on your team, on that same team, will be pitching on Monday and Tuesday. So to make a long story short, stacking pitchers on the same team will give you less variance in terms of two-star pitchers because if you just took pitchers from random, you could have all five of them having two stars. But this really, um, stacking the pitchers will get you those, in theory, those two pitchers with two starts. Um, and that's purely theoretical. Now I'm looking at the NFBC and I'm thinking, okay, well, this could apply because let's say you have, I think there's nine pitching slots. Yep. There's nine pitching slots. So let's, let's say you have three relief pitchers that you, that, you're, that you accept to use and you have six, you have six starters. Could you theoretically, and this would be very difficult, get um, – get the the pitching staff of two maybe three teams in an NFBC if you if you were to obtain them cheap and you wouldn't even need the entire pitching staff because that's what I'm saying is theoretical so the more pitchers you can stack on the same team the the less variance you can the the less the less variable it's going to be so what what happened to me here is I took I had Chris Paddock as my first pitcher on SP1 and I went heavy on hitting early. I, I went Bellinger, Bogarts, and Kettle Marte in the first three rounds. Then I took Paddock. I wanted Luis Castillo to fall, but I missed him by two picks. Then I went Bichette, uh, Bichette uh, uh, Jose Abreu, and Gary Sanchez. So again, heavy hitting. Then what I did is I took Denelson Lamette as my SP2. Later down the line, I took Joey Luch- Luch- Lucchese. And I'm getting to the point where I'm going to have to reach on Mackenzie Gore if I want to continue with this strategy. Now, the ADP of... of um, What's his name? Uh, um, the injured guy on the Padres. I'm forgetting his name. Um, so Richards. Richards, yeah, Garrett, Garrett, Garrett Richards. Yeah, his ADP is higher than I thought. I don't really like him that much here, but I, I'm sort of, I'm sort of debating whether or not to continue with this strategy of just stacking these pitchers. And I also, in this draft, I was also able to, since I went so heavy on hitting, I was also able to secure um, Andrew Heaney and Griffin Canning. Um, in rounds 12 and 16, respectively. Um, I got Luke Casey in round 15. So I, was, I sort of had a stack of Padres and Angels and good pitching parks. And I'm, I'm, think, I'm thinking to myself, um, maybe I can start stacking both of these teams as much as I can. Of course, I ignored Otani. And um, what happened was I thought I could get Dylan Bundy for um, the next couple of rounds, but somebody took him really early. Somebody took him in round in the 200s or when he's been typically going in the mid 300s or even that was probably right after roto guts tweet he uh he sent something out after that once he does something like that you'll see guys it's it's amazing some of our real good players in the nfbc if they throw stuff out on twitter you will see adp start moving it's it's i don't doubt it quite a phenomenon anyways that that's that that's sort of this is sort of something i'm trying i don't don't know if it's going to work out or not but the other thing i'm realizing it's very difficult to to go with any of these strategies because you're gonna have to reach so much i'm i'm still missing on it even when i'm focused on doing it because yeah that that, that was the end that was the end of my thought you know a team you could do that for realistically right now and it's very cheap would be the 
the Pirates. I'm looking at their roster right now because I'm yeah. actually I'm actually going for Stephen Brault right now in the 48th round or 47th round, whatever it is. I'm going to get him. Looks like yeah, he's, the, the Pirates were, were were somebody I was looking at. And the, 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 you have Keller, team. Brault, Musgrove. You can I, Archer. I, I, Archer. I don't want Archer, but the innings are there, so I get it. But they're all very cheap. You can stack that like as you can stack those guys all as your SP four through eight, probably on your team. Because Musgrove, yeah, and, and another, another team, KGP, but. another team you could do it for is the Oakland A's, and you know on this on this same team I have um, Oakland's a little more costly though with uh, Lazardo and um, yeah, and what's his face? There's Montas, Montas, yeah, that would take two of your like seventh eighth round picks right there. But the, but the Pirates, you could probably literally start in round ten or maybe round eight for Keller because I know Keller's getting some helium. No, he's have- not. He's not going that high. No, not yet. No, not no. round eight. Not no. round eight. I don't know anymore, man. I just know that he, people love him too much. I mean, I'm going around fifteen or sixteen at the yeah, high. Even yeah. better, sweet. So okay, I was way too high. What am I thinking? Yeah. Regardless, like I, I just have no shares. He's so one of those guys that are uh, the helium will start too. He, he'll be in the second tier of helium guys that start going. Uh, you know, baseball forecasters come out now, and they have a good blurb in there about them. So you, you once stuff like that coming, and now we have football, which you know ended technically. Well, it ends tonight, but for all intents and purposes, now our now our heavy football guys that all are also baseball guys um, they start coming in now so now we'll see a, a huge influx of drafts and you start seeing some stuff move around so guys just as you mentioned Mitch Keller um, he'll go like round 12 then sorry yeah I mean <laughs> it, it, that stuff will start so I thought about him and I, th- I thought about trying to stack the Pirates here too um, they have good value like I said Stephen Brolt he is nothing special but he is innings he probably has 150 innings that are I'm assuming he keeps a rotation spot and I'm getting him in round what are we in round 48 or 46 right now 45 right so we'll see we'll see how this plays out for me i don't know if i want to get um garrett richards or not i don't know if i want to go for mackenzie gore i know both of those players i'll have to take very soon because we're at pick 293 and both of their adps are we're basically past richards adp and then gore's coming up coming up but he tends to be his adp i think is falling but my pitching staff and this is, this is my pitching staff using this, this strategy. So I have Chris Paddock, Denelson Lamette, Frankie Montas, Jose Leclerc, Andrew Heaney, Keone Kella, Joey Lucchese, and Griffin Canning. So it's not the strongest pitching staff so far, but, the th- but I'm using a theory that um, I am going to try to collect those pitchers on the same team to maximize the, the two start weeks. It's a, it's an interesting strategy, and I think it I think it can work in both the draft champions and then in in fab leagues as well, where you obviously are you're only drafting thirty guys, so that you know you only need so many pitchers at that point. But you're right, you got to hit the you got to get the right teams with the right pitch. Padres sound like a very good one to to implement that strategy with Angels as well. Uh, Mets possibly too if if you start with the Grum and and go on down that way. If you start a little earlier, taking your pitchers. Um, and that's the kind of case where it allows you to, to, to build up your bats, maybe a little bit more, uh, up, up, you know, be a little bit more heavy up top. So there's a ton of strategies, man. That that's the, the, the best thing I think I see through the NFBC is there's no one right strategy. That's the beauty of, uh, so when guys talk about doing stuff like that, I find it fascinating, just different ways to tinker, different ways to try things because you never know again that we we've seen it through the 16 years of history, Greg Ambrosius can tell you better than anybody that there is no one right strategy. There is no perfect draft spot. Winners come from every single draft spot in every league. Overall winners come from every draft spot. It's a grind, man. It's six months. We all know that. And so I'm, I love hearing about just different ways to tinker. Um, You know, I've seen guys that, uh, just do some crazy stuff and it looks crazy on the surface. And then, you know, they win their league 
Uh, you know, we've had, we had a guy actually in the main event a couple years ago, didn't draft a, a uh, hitter until round 10, took nine pitchers. Now he didn't, he didn't cash in the overall, but he ran away with his league. So, you know, his $1,600 huh. entry turned into 6,500 bucks. That's didn't interesting for the overall, but it's still, it's, it's hard to cash in the overall, no matter what, right? I mean, you have to just have great health, great draft great, you know, great team management. So there's different things. There's different ways to do a lot of things. And that's what makes it, that's what makes it interesting. Um, what, when you were a player, when you were able to, I should say, and I, I get you still do TGFBI, but what worked best for you in these formats back when you were a player? What was your like ultimate strategy that typically worked for you? I don't know that I really had a, a, a perfect strategy, Mike. I mean, I didn't have a perfect strategy. I didn't, I didn't, <laughs> win, I didn't win all my leagues, right? So I didn't have a perfect strategy. But I, I just, you know, I, I was one that I, w- I, I never had a problem jumping ADP and moving guys around because, uh, again, it, all, tons of great players in, in the NFBC. Don't get me wrong. But if you think about it, ADP is made up of, you know, in a 15-team league, one guy that wins and 14 guys that don't win. Right. So uh, as an aggregate, it's a fantastic, it's a fantastic composite because we have all of our great players and all of our players adding to a thing. So there's a lot of guys that don't stray too far from ADP and that works great. Lots of times. I was one that just, I, I always went and got my guys. Uh, that's just this way I felt. I, I never did pro, uh, my own projection. So I would, I would let people a little bit smarter or a little bit, had a little bit more time than me, uh, do that. And I looked, I mean, I was, I would always look at the, at the baseball forecaster. I still get that every year. I think it's just a fascinating read and I'd look at it, you know, different things online. But again, at the end of the day, I, w- I wanted to win or lose with my guys. So the, to answer your question, I don't have a great answer to your question. I, I think I, I was never big on taking a pitcher in the first round. Uh, I always wanted to get a bat or two to solidify, um, solidify my, my team and hitters can get hurt just as easily as pitchers can. I, I get that, especially now, but I always felt that getting a couple anchor bats right away, just to, to lock in some stats just made me feel better. And, you know, then I would grab maybe a pitcher in round three or maybe three, five and six or something like that to, to, cause I didn't certainly didn't ignore pitching because I, I, you know, there was only nine spots versus the, the 14, um, you know, that, guys were contributing to so you, you certainly can't can't wait too long on pitching but uh I, I just always felt do your own you know do your own thing look at other people's stuff but at the end of the day go with your own gut on a lot of this stuff and you know it's still at the end of the day it's got to be fun right it, again baseball is a grind and it gets to be a grind at the end but if you're not having fun why are you doing it right so again you, if your ship's gonna sink do it with your own guys well, and you mentioned your guys. Do you, um, now I'm curious. Do you, do you have any your guys this year? Like who would – like I have my guys, but I want to – You know, I haven't – and by my guys, like <laughs> well, it's not early because I've been – you know, I mean, I, I do this stuff year-round. So my, my job kind of runs right into my hobby too. So I'm, I'm – I guess I'm, maybe what I'm asking for, do you, do you see any hidden gems out there? Like not, not like – I don't want to – I'm not asking like, oh, like, do you, like I always want to get um, Xander Bogarts in round two. That's my guy. I'm asking you, like, is there any hidden gems that you that you'll make sure you reach for, like in the well? So guys, I, guys, I like a ton this year. I love Chris Paddock. You mentioned him earlier. I, you know, he's going, you know, right around in the in round four right now. I've seen him jump up to round three. I have no problem with Chris Paddock being my number one guy and grabbing a couple bats first and going with Paddock. I just watching him pitch. I, I almost feel like. Uh, you remember Aaron Nola a couple of years when he had his breakout, he just, it, it, the year before he looked like he was kind of getting it and just, you know, just 
wasn't quite there yet. I put Paddock even on another level than Nola. I think he's that much of a better pitcher. We saw his, you know, his innings were limited last year, but when he was pitching, you could just watch him and he is just, he knows how to pitch. So Chris Paddock is one of my guys. Another couple pitchers that I like a lot, Lance McCullers. Um, I think he's, he's one of the guys that are, will start getting moved up big time. Um, you know, coming off the Tommy John surgery, he's been throwing for a while. He had some stuff out on Twitter showing his, showing him pitching and stuff. And, you know, he's an astral pitcher, if nothing else. Um, I think he comes back in that rotation and, and leaves off, you know, kind of starts back up where he left off. He was having a monster year when he got hurt. Uh, so I think he's one of those guys that will rise a lot. Um, I'm a big yeah. Gianni uh, Gallegos guy for St. Louis. I, I know we don't know what Carlos Martinez's role is going to be yet, but I, I just don't think Carlos Martinez is that good of a pitcher, to tell you the truth. Um, so I think Gallegos kind of – I don't know if he starts with the closing role there, but I, I actually think he has it at some point and, and kind of runs away with it. And then a couple of hitters I like, um, Kevin Biggio. I, I know the average is uh, – <clears throat> maybe not going to be so good, but I think the power and the power and the steel should be there hitting second in that order from everything. I think the I average can't get worse. I think that yeah. the average last year was sort of his floor. So I, 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 you know, I, and I can't, I'll usually probably build my teams with a couple of strong bats up top, or I'm going to take care of some average there and I'll take care of some average a little bit later. But uh, I think Salvador Perez, I think people are forgetting about him. Um, he's, he seems mm. to be going way too late compared to some of the other catchers I see going in front of him. I understand he was injured all last year, but a whole year off, he's going to, they've already said he's going to play some first base. I think he's going way too late. And I, at this point, I still like Avisel Garcia's ADP. Now I know they signed, uh, they brought in, um, who did they just signed the other day? Smoke? Smoke. So yeah, Braun, yeah. So Braun maybe gets moved back out to the outfield a little bit more, but uh, you know, at some point it's hard to believe that all those guys can stay healthy. Braun, Yelich, Kane, you know, smoke. So I think there's a lot of playing time for Avisel Garcia. And I still think his ADP is down around round 20 and 15 team leagues. I, I assume that'll start going up as well, but those are some of the guys I like this year. And then uh, Willie Calhoun is my, is my big guy. I just think this guy is set up for a monster year. I just love the bat. I realize he doesn't run a lot, but I think and I have no idea how the new dome in Texas is going to play to, to be honest with you. I just, I just think he settles in as either the, the three hitter or the five hitter, depending on where they want to use Gallo. And I think this guy's just ready to, ready to take off and has a, has a, you know, like a 285, 30, 100 type season in his bat and, you know, still around, around nine or round nine or 10 sometimes even still. So that's a guy I think maybe his helium goes, but he's one of those guys that playing time's not necessarily guaranteed, but I just don't, see a way for him not to come through and hit there. So those are some of the guys that I, that I like so far. I loved all those takes. Like, I was, those, that's very interesting to hear. Like I, um, Salvador Perez one is someone I didn't even think about. And I, I don't even know where he's going, but that's a, that's a really good point. And then Calhoun, he's, he's getting some helium already, like a little yeah, bit. starting, I guess. A little but yeah, bit. all those players, this is why I love to get in the drafts early because all the players you're mentioning, I like them and they tend to, they tend to move up. Yeah. Um, and- and maybe there's one thing I forgot to mention when Mike asked me a question of uh, any strategy I had, I loved to get in early drafts. I would always try and get in that very first draft champions that started because I felt I had done my part in my research in the off season where I wanted to get in and get these values uh, early before the helium starts and just, and of course I'm wrong. I was wrong plenty. Don't get me wrong. There's no question. I'm, I'm, you know, wrong probably more than I'm right. But uh, I always felt that getting in early and getting a chance to draft value was not only fun, but I thought, I thought it gave you an advantage. And then, then I would kind of wait uh, after Christmas and kind of let those drafts go and then start in heavy again after around February 1st. That's how my draft season used to work. So I, I, don't, I don't know if it was right or wrong, but that's kind of how I did it too. 
Well, that about wraps things up in, uh, for episode four. I want to thank our special guest, Derek. You can find him uh, on Twitter at dbutcher, which is D-B-U-C-H-A-R. And we'll catch everyone next time.